Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast, episode number 15. As part of our filtration series, filtration expert and president of Wateropolis, Derek French, discusses how to maximize your filtration system. It's not just about water clarity. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. I'm Dave Rockwell with my co-host, Michelle Cavanaugh. And we're here today with Derek French. Uh, Derek is a, an expert on sand filtration, and uh, Derek, why don't you tell us your, your background and uh, where, where you come from and where you're headed? Well, I, I was originally born in Canada. I have a, an engineering and business background. Uh, I've got about 25 years in water treatment, everything from membranes through cartridges and all the other familiar technologies, and I've spent the last... 15 years focused on granular filtration and, and all different types of granular materials. Sand is certainly a mainstay. Um, so I have the unique pleasure of focusing exclusively on granular materials. I don't build the filters. I just make the important stuff that goes inside. Yes. So, so for pool, uh, for pool uses, we're talking uh, your, your area of expertise would be sand filtration. Yes, yeah, that would be the most common. The most common product used in the pool market would be would be sand. Uh, we also work in things like ceramics and other sort of modified or high tech versions of sand. But yes, okay. Welcome, Derek. We're happy to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, you know, one of the things that that uh, strikes me about this discussion, as far as the pool industry goes, we have multiple, multiple classes on water chemistry, on uh, all different theories, uh, the LSI, the, the um, uh, different theories on the best way to uh, maintain the, the sanitary quality of the water. But uh, if you go to an, at your average trade show, there's a number of classes on all of those things, but very little attention is paid in the educational field to filtration right and and uh, filtration other than to say that filtration is one of the most important aspects of water quality in a pool so how, how do we define and measure water quality from the standpoint of a, of a filtration expert well you know habitually in the pool market it, it feels to me like we've identified quality based on looking into a pool and judging clarity. Um, and that's kind of been exclusively it, you know, are we getting yeah. the water clear? So it has a nice crystal clear. And, and a lot of times we're using blue tiles or colored grouts, trying to make things pop in the bottom of the pool. So we have a good view of those things. And, and that's really been the defining, most common defining characteristic of water quality in pools. And, and that matters, it's important. Uh, the aesthetic value to a customer or a user, absolutely critical. It doesn't, however, in any way discuss health and safety. There's yes. no link between observed clarity by the naked eye and, and health related, whether it's bacterial health or viral health, or in my world, we're most con concerned with things like crypto, so OSIS contaminants. They are so far below the, the detection limit of the naked eye that, that those quality parameters, I mean, a visual representation of looking at a pool doesn't, doesn't help. So yeah. much of that is also out of the purview of our test kits that we use. 
Um, when we test for chlorine, we test for combined chlorine uh, or total chlorine, but we don't break down what those chloramines are. There, there are some that are way more dangerous than others, they're worse than others, but we just know, okay, there, there's, either, there's chlorine sanitizer in the pool, there's, or is there chloramines in the pool, but there, it's very nonspecific. Um, the same way we don't test for any kind of living bacteria. We don't, we don't do any complicated tests because th those tests, some of them are, are available, but they're very expensive. And so uh, the, the water tests that we do are really very simplistic in their nature. Yeah, I mean, um, in order, you, you can't manage what you don't measure. You can't manage filtration properly if you don't measure the quality before and after a filter or at you know, various points throughout the service cycle of a filter, whether it's cartridge or DE or anything else, because you have no way to know if you're being effective or you have a malfunction. You know, yeah. um, I love when people tell me that their filters run forever. Well, filters by definition, filters by definition are particle storage devices. That's what they are. They temporarily store particulate at various sizes until we either backwash it out or take a cartridge out and rinse it off or, you know, knock the DE off a septum and put new DE on. We are temporarily storing contaminants and particles in that filter. If we're not actually removing any particles, filters last a long time. So if we're, if we're measuring quality, you know, in, in my world, whether it's municipal, industrial, commercial, or even residentially for consumers, we have to do on-site testing to determine if filters are actually doing anything. And we have a limited number of tools we can do there as well. The most common one is turbidity. People talk about turbidity measurement, uh, NTU measurement, methylmetric turbidity units. Um, and they're just an indicator of, again, that's a, an indicator of how well light passes through a water sample, but it it gives us a comparative value if we take an NTU reading before a filter and an NTU reading after a filter or an NTU reading of water over time, we can see whether it's getting better or worse or, or staying the same. Um, so we'll use handheld turbidimeters. You know, they're not fancy or expensive devices. When we've done pool filter evaluations, we actually go to the next step, which is laser particle counters, which I would never prescribe a device like that for permanent installation in a pool, but as an analytical method, it's fantastic for determining um, what we have going through or not going through a filter. Well, really as pool service uh, people, we're, we're trusting the um, filter manufacturers and the, the the uh, suppliers of uh, uh, filter media to kind of have figured that out for us. And, but um, we really, there are things that we need to pay attention to, to keep these filters doing what they're supposed to be doing um, in terms of maintaining the filters. Yeah, I mean, when we're, when we're looking at filter operation, we, we need to know it's doing something, and then we have to decide how often do we clean that filter. One thing that we've observed in studies, we, uh, we did a rather extensive study on an indoor YMCA in Ohio, and we learned a lot about water quality in that environment, and we tried it through all the common filter materials. And 
one of the things that happens during the day when you have bather load is you have dirt load going into your filter. And even in an indoor pool, that dirt load is comprised of skin cells, fabric worn from swimsuits, hair. I mean, that's kind of a bulk of it. And we physically, we actually physically could see those contaminants depositing in the filter and we see the pressure drop increasing through the filter during the day as the filter takes up more and more solids. Then at night, when the pool closed, the water is still recirculating. It's doing what it needs to do. It's being pumped around. It's being pumped through the filter on a continuous basis. We actually see the filter differential or pressure drop across the filter decline overnight. So what's happening is the oxidizers in the pool are hydrolyzing or dissolving the organic contaminants that we've removed during the day and dissolving them and now putting them in as dissolved organic content back into the pool water. And it's often those organic contaminants that leads to chloramine production and chloramination of water when it's combined with ammonia and you know, nitrogen-based products. So over a week's run, every night, we saw this drop off in pressure and this, this change or degradation in potential pool quality. And as a result, I'm an advocate on more frequent backwashing because if we're not backwashing more frequently, we're actually dissolving the things we filtered out back into the water and decaying our water quality. Yeah. So that's an argument here um, in favor of a filter that, that can be backwashed. I know in Southern California and Southwestern United States, um, cartridge filters kind of dominate the market and it, it's very difficult because of our water situation out here to sell the clients on uh, changing the water in the pool. So without the ability to backwash, these things just build up in the pool over time. And uh, again, even though the water looks clear, the pool's algae free, um, our test kits don't necessarily measure all the contaminants that are in there, but um, it's something we don't really kind of give, give thought to, but changing the water in the pool sounds like it's a, uh, an important thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, the Europeans for years and the Canadians have, have mandated a certain amount of discharge per bather per day, and that's in an effort to keep a mass balance in the pool and to prevent the accumulation of both organic and inorganic contaminants in the pool. And if you're going to have to discharge water, it just makes sense to do that via backwash of a, of a backwashing filter. Just dumping water out without putting it to purpose doesn't seem very prudent to me. Um, so if you have a backwashing filter, that's, that's the time to, to do that. Um, what, is, what is the issue, I guess, Dave, when we talk to, you know, as part of our filtration series, we've talked to a few other folks and they said something very similar. What is the issue, I guess, Derek, from your perspective, you know, with the cartridge filter versus a sand, you know, as far as the quality is concerned, I think, you know, even James Ambergue, when he spoke about it, talked about that very issue. And backwashing was certainly one of them. Because I think you said, Dave, sometimes they go six months without backwashing or, or doing anything before the cart, you know, of those that are using sand. But what about the washing of just the cartridge filters? I think that's an issue, is it not? Uh, 
Go ahead, Derek, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that people have to remember about cartridges, and, and for that matter, granular sand type filters, these are nominal filters. There's, they aren't using absolute values. Um, when someone sells you a 20 micron cartridge, it's removing some percentage of particles at 20 microns. Yeah. And you have to drill down in the data to find out whether that's 20% of the 20 micron particles or 60% of the 20 micron particles or 90%. And people have to remember that filters are nominal devices. So if a filter isn't accumulating pressure drop, if it's not capturing particles, it's not helping your water quality and it's yeah. not getting any pressure drop. If, if you are having to clean your filters and you are having to, to rinse them or backwash them, at least they're doing something. And I mean, even uh, an indoor pool versus an outdoor pool, we're gonna see different types of contaminants, but tree pollen ranges from 10 microns to 200 microns. So even if you're in a treed area or, or in a windy, you know, um, bunch of uh, uh, deciduous trees around, you're gonna end up with tree pollen in, in the early parts of the season and your filter is only going to pick some of that up. And, and if it's not picking it up, then the filter is going to have an inordinately long life. So, right. I mean, one of the, one of the concepts that, that is troublesome for me in filtration as it pertains to pools is how we look at filter depth. And I'm talking about sand depth in a filter bed and flow rate. And if yep. you listen to somebody like Dr. Ambergie at, at UNC Charlotte, he's an advocate of dropping filter flow rates to 10 to a maximum of 12 gallons per square foot. And, and I'm an advocate of that as well. I, I provide technical assistance to filters in all sorts of applications, industrial, commercial, municipal, and we never, never go above 12 gallons a square foot. In fact, 10 is kind of our max. And we see improvements in quality as we go down in flow rate. And the reason is because the, the surfaces of the, of the sand where you're trying to store debris and store contaminants is impacted by hydraulic shear forces. And as you increase flow rate, the velocity the water through a filter goes up, the shear forces go up, and it gets harder to stick dirt to media. And that actually applies that can apply to cartridge filters as well. As you crank up the flow rate, you are have the potential to knock more solids through the filter. So certainly moderating down flow rates in sand filters makes them a lot more robust and a lot more reliable. But the other thing we have to remember as a particle storage device, we need a certain amount of filter material in there yeah. because we're sticking things to the surface of the grain. Filter sand, in general terms is usually a, what they call a 2040, which is a 20 to 40 mesh sand is a half millimeter. It's 0.5 millimeter sand. 0.5 millimeter sand, the openings in the sand are roughly 80 microns in size. We're trying to take crypto out, that's three to five microns. We're pushing it through holes that are 80 microns in size. There's no sieving going on here. We're not doing a sieving or straining. This isn't, this isn't that type of mechanism. We're trying to get the crypto particles to come in contact with the surface of the, of the sand grain. And when it's most likely gonna try and intercept in a low velocity area where there's uh, a good attachment and then that particle has to stay attached until we backwash it out. If you change the flow rate through a filter, 
you actually run the risk of discharging solids. So the first thing with a filter is you never change the flow rate. Once it's running, you leave it alone. Until you backwash it, that flow rate shouldn't go up. Up, up is bad. Um, as you add sand to a filter and make the bed deeper, you have more collective sites. You have more places to stick contaminants. Um, there's a concept that we use in filtration called uh, L over D. It's a ratio and it's the depth of a filter bed in millimeters divided by the effective size of the sand in millimeters. So for instance, a 16 inch, a 16 inch filter depth, which is about 406 millimeters. If you use traditional filter sand, you have an L over D of 812. So that's 406 millimeters divided by 0.5 millimeters. Um, that's not a good L over D value. The minimum L over D we would ever use in a filter would be a thousand and even that's kind of light. So that would be a 20 inch sand bed of 0.5 millimeter sand gives you a little over a thousand. As you go up to 24 inches of sand, you get over 1200, an L, L over D of 1200 because you have 610 millimeters of, of depth divided by 0.5 millimeter sand. And as we move up in depth, what we're doing is getting a higher surface area. We're adding more total surface area to a filter. So one way is to make a filter deeper. The other is to change the effective size of the media. As we start to make the media smaller, we add surface area, we add collective sites. If we take a filter media down to 0.2 millimeters, instead of an 80 micron hole, we have a 32 micron hole. So our, our interstitial spacing gets tighter. So we're more likely to attach crypto to a surface. And now that 16 inch filter that had an, an um, L over D of 812 now has an L over D of over 2000. We've more than doubled the surface area in the same bed mm, yeah. by making the media size a little less than half the size. So size, size matters. <laughs> so it's one time that's the case. Yes, this one time <laughs> size matters. So we, we start looking at, can we make the average size of the media smaller without making mm. it prohibitively uh, or creating a hydraulic bottleneck? Because that's your risk. As media gets smaller, your hydraulics gets a little tougher and your clean pressure drop goes up. And a lot of existing pools would struggle to get the number of turns that they need a day if we increase the back pressure on the pump. So as we start looking at improved filters, whether it's deeper beds or smaller material, we do need to address pumps. We need to look at pumps and make sure yeah. that we can get pressure drop across a filter and still get the number of turns we need in a day. So all of this uh, ideally would happen at the time the pool is designed. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the hydraulics, the pipe size, uh, yep. Variable speed pumps make it easy to dial in the exact flow that you need. Um, but they're also a lot of times the capability is that they're a three horsepower or a five horsepower pump and and they actually could pump too much water too fast through the filtration. So all of that has ideally would be given thought, but then the other what I'm hearing here is that there's two other things that, that require thought is the actual type of filter that you're going to use. Um, looking at the filter itself in terms of the bed depth that it offers. And, and then finally the media, media choices. Um, 
So yeah. if you select a filter that's got the right bed depth, then maybe you could talk a little bit to us about the various media that's available for, for sand filters, because there are some alternatives to just sand itself that I'm hearing yeah. about now. Yeah, there's, there are a bunch of, there are a bunch of, uh, of alternatives. Um, you know, we've, we've looked at sand, we've looked at crushed glass, we've looked at, at uh, zeolites, um, and all of them have varying performances and varying lifespans. Um, if you can keep the media clean, so you're not contaminating with either organic or inorganic contaminants, so whether it's biofilms or carbonates or sulfate precipitants, those things aside, media lasts a very long time. So if you can keep media clean or get it clean time to time with some sort of proper cleaning regimen, filter medias can last extraordinarily long time. Uh, zeolites tend to be softer. They have a softer structure. Uh, they crush more under high pressure differentials and, and uh, may, maybe don't have the rigidity that we need for extended service lives. But certainly glass, sands, and ceramics all, um, all have extended service lives. As we get down into finer grade medias, shape starts to matter. So when we look at ceramics, for instance, we will try to make the material as spherical as we can and still make it rough. And, and the reason we talk about roughness has to do with hydrodynamics and shear forces and trying to capture crypto on the surface and roughness of media makes a difference in that. Um, and as you get down into fighter materials, round materials have better hydraulic characteristics than crushed or angular materials. So when we start getting into finer materials, we have to pay attention to shape. When you're in the larger materials, half millimeter or up, shape is less of an issue on pressure drop. Um, as, we, as I say, as we get down into the, if you get down into a 0.2 millimeter ceramic and you get into a, a 20 to 24 inch bed of uh, bed depth, we see in excess of 90% removal of cryptosporidium without coagulants. I mean, wow. that's just a function. There's no magic there. That's a function of surface area um, and small interstitial spacing and just having a lot of places to capture things like crypto on the surface. Um, there's, there's no magic there. It's, it's all very standard filter theory when we do these things. So... Um, in terms of maintaining a sand filter, um, are they just sort of a film backwash and forget about it, or do they need to be opened up, and is there maintenance that needs to be done on them from time to time? Yes, there, absolutely. There needs to be uh, at least a routine inspection and a maintenance on them. The assumptions we make is that filters are backwashing correctly and, and people talk about backwashing. Backwashing is a critical step in the lifespan of a filter and keeping it running throughout its life. And backwashing requires expanding the bed and knocking the dirt, basically knocking the dirt out of it down the drain so we can put it back into service and temporarily, temporarily store more particles until the next time we backwash. If we don't get it backwashed properly, um, we don't have as much storage capacity. If we don't backwash it at the right flow rate, we don't have as much storage capacity. If we over backwash it, we run the risk of moving material out of the tank and losing it down the drain. So periodically we need to open those filters and make sure we have the appropriate amount of depth in that filter that it, so we know it's doing what it needs to be doing. 
if we've lost material, we're losing depth. So our L over D is changing and we're losing storage capacity. Um, and we talk about backwashing expansion. And the reason we talk about backwash expansion is it's a surrogate for fluidization. By definition, when we fluidize a filter bed, we expand the bed upwards in a backwash, separating all the particles and creating a high velocity environment where the particles are moving and rotating in the fluid that's going upwards rapidly and we're shaking off all of the, the dirt we've accumulated. Despite popular belief, the, grain, the grains of sand don't actually touch. By definition in a fluidized bed, they're all separated by water flowing upwards. So the grains never touch. And, and James uh, actually did some research in that early in his doctorate on, on proving that out. Um, so we have to get that bed expanded and get it out. And in order to get a bed clean, we need a minimum of 20 to 30% expansion. 30% is, is considered optimal. So, you know, a 20 inch bed of material has to grow six inches higher when it's backwashing in order to, to get the dirt out of it. If we have a short filter bed of 16 inches, it doesn't take as much time to get the dirt out of that as if we have a 24 inch filter because we have more dirt holding capacity in a deeper filter. It takes longer to get the dirt from the bottom back to the top and rinsed out of the filter. So we have to look at backwash times as a, as a critical function of bed depth. Backwash flow rate matters. Um, we have to make sure that we have good underbedding gravel in there. People often put gravel in the bottom of filters to keep the sand from packing around the laterals. And that's definitely an, an important function of, of support gravel. But the more critical function that support gravel serves in our filters is to distribute backwash water to make sure we don't have channeling during the backwash. Because if we have dead zones during the backwash, now we have areas of the filter that aren't being elevated and rinsed properly. So the gravel actually distributes backwash water to help fluidize the bed in a uniform fashion and help get it clean. So we look at What's the condition of the underbedding and the gravel? Is it, is it flat? Is it the right depth? Is it distributed evenly? Do we have the right amount of filter material in there? And a lot of times when we open a filter, we'll grab a sample and we'll look at it under a microscope and we'll say, is it, is it covered in biofilm or, or carbonate you know, calcifications? Because those will change the way a filter performs. And then you can figure out, is there a cleaning regimen to help recover that material? I'm glad you brought that up because I see that discussion on some of the online forums in the pool industry about whether you should fill the filter straight with sand or if you need a gravel under bed. Uh, also, um, we need to pay attention, it seems like, to the, the freeboard space at, uh, between the, uh, um, the top of the bed and the, the, where the uh, water goes out through the backwash. Um, it's important not to lose that, the media. Right. And I, and I certainly, there are going to be filter manufacturers who, who extol the virtues of gravelless underdrain systems. And if, and if, if they've done their engineering right and they've figured out how to make sure there's good uniform backwash water in the absence of gravel, then that's great. And they, they just have to assure the operator that their design will support a, a gravelless system. And there are, there are people that sell gravelless systems, but to omit the gravel from a system that was designed for gravel is a, is a terrible thing to do. It's bad for the filter overall. And checking the freeboard, I mean, you really wanna have as much sand in a filter as you can get without having it backwashing out of the, out of the filter. 
I mean, the other thing that happens is that the expansion of sand during a backwash changes with water temperature. And generally in commercial pools, that's not really an issue. Most people control those temperatures fairly tightly. But if you see wide swings in water temperature, you actually see changes in the expansion percentage. And as water gets colder, it gets more dense. So it expands the sand more. You have more chances of losing sand in cold water than you do in warm water. Um, again, I, I'm not sure that's really an issue in most pools. So. In, in the colder weather out here, people are less likely to swim, so we probably won't backwash as often anyway, but uh, it's <laughs> important to know that, I think. Anyways. Well, cer certainly in Ohio, as soon as the snow's gone, we're, you know, we're in 48 degree water and, right, exactly. and complaining about it the whole time, so yeah. <laughs> Anytime it gets above freezing, that's short sleeve weather. I, I grew up in Michigan, I remember that well. I guess um, for me, Dave, for somebody who, you know, has never actually been a service person in a backyard, what do you think the hesitation is for service guys to really think about their filter as more than just water clarity? Is, just, is it just cost related? Is it because they don't have enough knowledge to be able to determine if they can choose a different filter or a different, you know, I guess, what is the hesitation? Um, I, I think a lot of it is just um, we, we stick with what we know. Um, so that's what it is. Okay. Most of us were, I mean, I, I hear all the time in Southern California, um, I'll give up my DE filter when they pry it out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> um, well, that's starting to happen. The yeah. municipalities are fining you for yeah. uh, if DE runs out into the street. Um, it, the DE, there's this ugly, nasty pile of it that accumulates over the years when you clean it back by the equipment pad so um guys are starting to look at, at cartridges and other filtration types but um i i'm i'm really i i've had some experience with sand filters out here and and i see some tremendous advantages um and i think the other one of the things that the that you talked about earlier derek is um we're trained to evaluate a filter based on its nominal uh, capabilities. A, a DE filter can go down to three to five microns, a cartridge filter 15 to 20 microns, sand filters 10 to 12 microns. But that's not any indication of what's really going on on a given equipment pad or in, a, in, a, in, a, in the water of a given pool. Uh, James uh, mentioned that on his, when we talked to him uh, that it's just, you know, I won't repeat the word that he called it, but it's just basically um, sales, sales. Uh, yeah. Talk. Um, so what? It's really, um, I think, discussions like we're having here are are important because we we need to think about what's really happening in the water, what's really happening with our filters, and and uh, uh, You know what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of pretty lofty claims made on the performance of filters in the pool industry that wouldn't actually wouldn't fly in any other industry. Industrially, right. even consumer product wise, we would never allow those claims to be made without some level of independent evaluation. Um, yeah. I'm always skeptical of manufacturers who do in-house testing and present that data um, as if it's unvarnished and and not under a 
completely optimal light. You know, nothing's optimal in this world. We have to put material in the field, run it for a period of time, allow it to get dirty over and over and over and backwash, 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 and then hand it to somebody like Dr. James Ambergy and say, okay, assess this technology and tell us what it really does. And that's, that's how we've chose to do it because I really am hesitant to say, well, something works because I said so. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Can you talk about what Wateropolis does exactly, Derek? I, I was not familiar with the company before um, Dave brought it up to my attention. And I, I, I hate to say that. I, I hate to admit that, but that's the truth. Well, yeah, we're, we're a, a manufacturer of a variety of expanded clay and ceramic products. And our, our biggest market space is consumer products and municipal drinking water. We do a lot in that realm and, and wastewater treatment as well. So those are our big market spaces. Um, pools are something that we've, we've studied extensively. We have a, a series of products that we know work very well. We've had them independently evaluated. Um, we've struggled a little bit because people do the same thing over and over in the pool industry. Um, yeah. There has been a resistance to change. Um, it's not prohibitively expensive. It's just different. And, and yeah. so we've, we've struggled with that a little bit. Um, but for the most part, we're engaged with all sorts of industrial and commercial filter applications and primarily sell our product to people that build filters and help guide them in, in their efforts to build a mm. better filter, something that's effective and affordable and has a long service life. And that's really all we do is manufacture granular materials and, and sell support products like gravels and things and sand that go along with them. So. What is the, uh, what is the, uh, pool sand filter material called? Uh, we have a product line called Seraflow, which is a, a fine grain ceramic. We make it in two sizes um, and we've tested both for two to five micron particle removal. Our Seraflow 70 um, is capable of removing well, well above 90% of crypto in a single pass at, at 12 gallons a square foot without coagulants. So, that's the one we're prescribing for pools, but it's a, you know, it's a third the size of filter sand. So it, it gets implemented differently. Pressure drops are different. It removes a lot more dirt from a pool. So um, it's gonna backwash more often, although it uses less water when it does backwash. Um, it's, it's difficult for people who aren't used to actually filtering dirt out of their pool to backwash more often. So, but from what I understand and what I've heard both from, from uh, James and, and I've heard about your product is that it can actually eliminate the need for a coagulant like aluminum. Yeah, based on the premise that a 90% that a removal of crypto per pass through a filter will help remediate a, a pool that's had a fecal incident, um, it definitely will do that. As you suggest, the other choice is to use a coagulant like an alum or a polyaluminum chloride or some other uh, aluminum-based coagulant. And, and you can use that in conjunction with sand and also get better than 90% removal. Um, but now you're into that position of having to calculate and dose uh, aluminum coagulants correctly because of course, underdosing and overdosing actually don't help a filter. So well, I, I also deal with very health conscious people uh, I, I do I do a lot of work with uh, ozone and highly dissolved oxygen pools and the, the clients that that spend the money on a system like that are 
very, very conscious of what's in their water. And, and uh, there's a lot of ties to aluminum uh, regarding autism, uh, Alzheimer's, those kind of things. So people are just, just the word aluminum, I'm going to put aluminum in your pool. I've got people that would absolutely freak out if they, if they heard that. So right, the yeah. idea that there's something out there that would eliminate the need for that is very intriguing to me. Yeah, I mean, we already have enough problem with dissolved solids in pools. Let's not go adding another one that, that may or yeah. may not be a cause for concern. So I agree. If we have a way to take out a health-related component like crypto without having to add yet another thing to the pool, that, that makes sense to us for sure. Well, that's terrific. Um, yes. Is there anything else that you'd like to add on anything else that you think us uh, pool service techs should know? I think, I think it all goes back to you can't manage what you don't measure. So yes. learn to measure your water quality, learn to look inside the filters and understand what's going on. And there's all sorts of knowledgeable people in this community and the filtration community and pool community who can help answer questions. Yep. I get people calling me all the time wanting help troubleshooting something. And that's what we have to do is just pull together and, and pool resources and figure it out. We really appreciate this. Thank you for yes. this discussion. Um, Very helpful, Derek. And uh, again, if somebody wants to find you and wants to find your product, how would, how would we go about that? Uh, I think going through the website is probably the, the easiest way in Wateropolis. I thought it was going to be an easy one to spell, but uh, <laughs> it is water, O-P-O-L-I-S. Right. People spell it all the time, but if you go to wateropolis.com, there's always a way to find us and get in touch with us. And there's some resources there as well. There's some useful resources and some documentation there on, on systems for pools and, and other resources that people will find useful. I think too, Dave and I are, part of this, us doing this podcast together was to build a mentorship or a group of people around you that have knowledge you don't have. And I think Dave can even attest to this. He has a group of people that if he has a problem at a backyard pool that he doesn't know how to solve it, he has a number of people that he can contact and that are specialists in certain areas that can answer his question. And we highly recommend that. That's why we're doing this podcast, why we started it, is to build a group around you that can answer questions when you don't know the answer. And this is a perfect example, someone like Derek or, you know, Dave, even you can always email us, Dave and I, and we can, you know, get you to a person that can answer your question. It's important to have that group around you that can really support you into time of need. And we encourage that highly. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Derek. We appreciate it, Dave. This is great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks so Derek. Okay. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Stay safe out there. A new voice in the industry, a resource for all education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast. Build relationships and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast. Backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.